Welcome back to another edition of The Bird is the Word, Penn Labs Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I'm Penn Labs sports reporter Daniel Gallen. And I'm uh, Aaron Kasnitz, the Philadelphia Eagles beat reporter for Penn Lab. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Got back from Kansas City uh, last night. It was a good trip. Um, lots to talk about with the Eagles, though. Yeah, I mean, the first question has to be, did you eat any barbecue? Where did you get it from? How was it? <laughs> yeah, so I actually stayed near the airport. Um, switched to hotel late, so would have been better to stay downtown. Probably would have had a better chance to get specific barbecue but there's a little bit of a chain called gates which i got um, sunday night after the game pretty late uh very good traditional like cafeteria style where you roll down and you point out your sides uh got got a half a chicken for seven dollars with two sides oh wow sunday special very good and um the barbecue sauce is what does it in kansas city it's uh if you guys haven't been to kansas city this is my second trip got barbecue both times um, it's a little more tangy. It's a little spicy, but also sweet, as opposed to like North Carolina barbecue is a little bit more vinegar based. But this okay. this is like a little tangier and very delicious. Would highly recommend it. Also, the best baked beans in my life. And then in the airport the next day, I also got more barbecue at a place called Pork and Pickles. So lots of barbecue. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you got any uh, any airport barbecue because that seems like it can be kind of a, a risky proposition sometimes. Yeah, well, it was like pulled pork sliders is what I got Ooh. with with the barbecue sauce, and I feel like that's a good mix. Where like I probably wouldn't get ribs maybe from mm-hmm. the airport, but I would roll in there. So yeah, no, very good, very good. Would highly recommend Kansas City barbecue. Um, I'm obviously not an expert, so I've been to Kansas City twice, but if you ever go to Kansas City and need suggestions, let me know. So Sunday night when you're eating that barbecue, you've had a long day of work, long day at Arrowhead, and you're decompressing. What are you kind of thinking about uh, with the Eagles? What's kind of standing out to you? Yeah, I'm wondering at that point if LeGarrette Blunt worked up enough of an appetite to even want to have Kansas City barbecue. I feel like he probably didn't need to eat much. He'd have an apple and that would be the rest of his day because he got zero carries. Obviously, which went for zero yards, which um, is very surprising. He didn't his he had 14 carries in the Eagles opener. He was clearly their most used running back. Um, with the Patriots last year, he led the league in rushing and had over a thousand yards. Uh, the Eagles get to week two, hostile road environment against a good offense, and they don't use their big-bodied running back. Obviously, that played a part in their loss. Whether you know whichever way you slice it. And the other thing is, what does that mean for the future? Is is LeGarrette Blunt just not going to be a starting running back for the Eagles? Yeah, it was a very... It was just kind of weird. Right. That's the... I mean, I feel like we've talked about other things before where I've just said it. It's weird. But, like, this was, like, very out of the ordinary. I mean, because when you really get down to it... I mean, Wendell Smallwood got... They found three carries for Wendell Smallwood. Yeah. Um, you know, Darren Sproles got it ten times. Um, but... They, there was no, like, he got that one carry that was negated, and he had that one screen pass where he was stopped at the line of scrimmage, and it was kind of like, that was it. There wasn't even, like, a first and ten dive that right. got stuffed or he got two yards on, which is something where it's, like, when you actually think about it with how many plays they had, how many passes mm-hmm. they took, where it was just, like, like, Eric Wont got nothing. Right, and the fact that they were in the game, I mean, they had more plays than, than the Chiefs, but they're also in the game. They they fell behind by two touchdowns late, but up until the middle of the fourth quarter, it was a tie game. It's not, it's not like they had to come back from this big deficit. You couple that with the fact that you still have a young quarterback, you still are on the road, you're against a team that, that put up 42 points against the Patriots last week, 
you'd think you'd want to control the ball and run it a little bit more. Now, I understand why the game plan said that this wasn't the perfect game to use LeGarrette Blunt. The Chiefs' defense is really fast, and they, and they have a good front seven that it's kind of similar to the Redskins and then in their 3-4, but they got some good players in there that are quick, and maybe that's why Darren Sproles, who needed to get him on the edge, needed to get him running up the middle. Blunt just doesn't hit the hole hard enough to, to play much in this game. And I get that the Chiefs play man-to-man coverage, and Eric Berry's not there, so you want to take your chances downfield. I get that. But it shouldn't have been as lopsided as it was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the whole thing where you want to take those shots, but... You know, maybe some play action. If right. you run, if you run enough, where you can set up some play action. Right. If you have some sort of threat other than, like, it might be still man to man. But if it's man to man and they know exactly what's coming, you kind of give up uh, whatever advantage you got. You know, in the right. matchup and everything, right. or you tilted the field a little bit back towards them. Right, and and you get to the ripple effects of that, and it's like, okay, so you didn't do that and set up play action. Well, now Carson Wentz is just a sitting duck, right? The the Chiefs can pin their ears back and rush, and he gets sacked a career high six times. So there, there's a lot of ripple effects, and we'll go more into that later about the play calling. But to me, um, it, it's a little bit confusing why they didn't use LeGarrette Blunt. You know, when you run Darren Sproles, it's, it's almost like it's not a traditional run because of the way he runs and the mm-hmm. fact that it's always coming from the shotgun. So when you look at it and you see that non-Darren Sproles running backs got three carries. That's that's really interesting. And the thing with Sproles, too, is that I, I think that he's kind of a fan favorite in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, he's been kind of a fan favorite wherever he's gone because he's so good at what he does in terms of, you know, runs out of the shotgun, being a returner, screen passes, getting in space. And I almost feel like he, by not giving LeGarrette Blount any carries, you're making him a lot less effective. Because I think that it was a thing that we kind of talked about last year and at the beginning of the year where it's if Darren Sproles is your number one back, right? it's not good because that's not a traditional running game. You're not, you know, you're not pounding it between the tackles to milk the clock and hold possession. It's more kind of like trying to get some quick strike right. um, type of things. And, you know, I mean, in, when he was in New Orleans, they always had a couple bigger backs uh, when he was in... When he started his career in San Diego, they had Ladanian Tomlinson. I mean, he's someone where, you know, I mean, 10 carries for 48 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. I mean, that's solid, but it would look a lot better if it was, if he had 10 for 48, even if LeGarrette Blunt had 13 for like 62 or something like that. Or even in this case, 7 for 30. Like, yeah. Like, there was nothing there, which is, is, again, it's just kind of mind boggling to think about. Um, and even if even if you decide like Eric Blunt's just not hitting the hole hard enough, he's not working, then Wendell Smallwood may you know obviously Wendell Smallwood really struggled his first two weeks, but just something else to to give the defense a different look. And I mean, you saw the, the Eagles did have that late drive where they scored a Nelson Aguilar touchdown to give themselves the last chance. But again, I mean, as the game wore on in the second half, they just the Eagles didn't have much much room to go. So after they throw that interception and the Chiefs come down and score and take a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter, I mean, the Eagles come out and it's just everybody knows it's going to be three passes that aren't going to go anywhere. <laughs> and it just, you know, then you give the ball right back. It it, it takes away the versatility. It, it allows the defense to know what's coming. And you hear coaches say you don't want to get one-dimensional. The Eagles were as one-dimensional as it gets on Sunday.
So we started a little bit on a pessimistic note uh, for the Eagles, looking at Laguerre Plant's uh, lack of presence, uh, lack of existence in the offense on Sunday. Um, But another free agent acquisition who had, you know, decent amount of hype behind him, who came up and finally had his kind of ace arrival game was Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, Seven catches for 92 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, it was sort of like, oh, okay, this is this is that big wide receiver that Carson Wentz needs, and this is a good wide receiver uh, for Carson Wentz. What was kind of your takeaway from watching him and uh, in that first game? Yeah, no, just a guy who can get open on the outside consistently. The Eagles haven't had that in uh, the past two years, and you saw that yesterday. Um, the Eagles missed on some plays down the field that I thought they were very close on. Uh, Torrey Smith twice kind of had back shoulder catches. The Eagles wanted to take advantage of that. They couldn't quite do it. Um, so I think that played a part in in the fact that Alshon really shines because they were they were spending a lot of the Chiefs were really shifting their coverage over to Jeffrey and that opened things up for other guys and Jeffrey still ended up getting seven catches, ninety two yards. He didn't make a huge play downfield and he didn't have one of those grabs that he's kind of been known for where he leaps over a defender and rips it away from them. I think that'll come, but the fact that he can just you know stare stare for, stare at a cornerback across from him make a move, get open, haul on a catch. The Eagles haven't had a guy who just can do that consistently in the past, and they did. They, they had that on Sunday, and if it wasn't for Alshon Jeffrey, the offense wouldn't have moved at all. He was really the only thing that was working in my mind. Yeah, it seemed like he's been a little bit more multidimensional in the offense than he kind of got, I guess, like pitched as yeah. uh, in the offseason because they were kind of like, it was sort of like, oh, you know, he's that big body you throw into contested you know you throw contested balls to him he comes down with it you know gets big plays but it sort of seemed like that you know they like when he got the ball in space it was really good and the way that Doug Peterson kind of uses the offense and moves things around I feel like it's done a nice job of putting him like across the middle putting him on outs Um, I think his touchdown catch was a really nice out play yeah um, where, you know, Wentz made a good throw and he came back to the ball. You know, it was just kind of like put the ball where it needed to be. Jeffrey was where he needed to be. Um, yeah. No, and he, he finds soft spots in coverage and, and makes the plays. It's, it's not like he's it's not like he's just a jump ball guy, you know. He, he's a good route runner with huge hands and creates space, and that's comforting for a quarterback. Switching over to defensive side of the ball, um, you know, I feel like the – the defense gave up 27 points, mm-hmm. um, gave up a really big run to Kareem Hunt. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a couple of big plays. But for the most part, yeah, solid really defensive good. performance. Uh, one guy whose stock really seems to be up after this game was Rasul Douglas making his NFL debut <laughs> uh, with a pretty some tough assignments. Uh, what kind of struck you about how he acquitted himself yeah so first of all on the defense I mean they only gave up 27 points to an offense that scored 42 on the Patriots last week and uh the Eagles turned the ball over twice in their own territory one one time leading to a touchdown so I thought the defense performance was very good especially considering that you had three key pieces of the secondary missing Rodney McLeod and General Watkins left early and of course Ronald Darby uh is out with a dislocated ankle he suffered in the opener um and that all is impressive that they were able to do that and it allowed Rasul Douglas to make his NFL debut and I was very impressed with Douglas um again it's not like you or I are a defensive coordinator who can go watch and break down the film and see how you know see what his what his 
technique looked like and, and see if he was in the right spot all the time. But when he lined up across the guy, he held his own. Um, the first ball thrown at him, it was a hitch route to Tyree Kill, but he made a quick tackle and Hill only had four yards. And okay, you give up a catch, you don't like that. But Tyree Kill never burned Rasul Douglas. He was on him more than anybody. Um, it, it was his first NFL game. He played 74% of the defensive snaps. And I, I don't, I can't remember a lapse. He also had a big third down uh, pass deflection. And, and I think the big takeaway from Douglas, why his stock is up, is we knew he was an athletic guy. We knew he was a little bit of a ball hawk. But he only really played one year at West Virginia as a defensive player. He, he was at West Virginia for two years. First year, he's mostly a special teams guy. Young guy. And he just, there were times in training camp where he looked lost. You know, he had those big long arms because he's a big physical guy, but he just couldn't get them tight and run with good technique. And he couldn't quite understand some coverages. But on Sunday, it you couldn't tell he was a rookie. And to me, with the type of skill set he has, if you can't tell he's a rookie, that means he's ready to make a jump and, and be a legitimate player. Now, he's still got a long way to go, but the fact that you can throw him in against Tyreek Hill, that's, that's pretty positive. Big thing that stands out to me as someone who was watching the game on TV is that you, his name was never really called. Yeah. It was never really pointed out. Um, you know, the third down pass deflection was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was maybe the only time he was really mentioned on the broadcast. And I feel like for a defensive back, that's kind of a good thing yeah. where, you know, it's not being pointed out that you're getting beaten or anything like that. I think the only two times I really, um, you know, noticed him from the watching on TV perspective was when he had that third down deflection and when uh, Travis Kelsey jumped over him and the rest of the defense on that touchdown. So it was, you know, for someone that, you know, coming, was inactive last week and Mm -hmm. coming into the season, everyone was kind of like, Ooh, like, do we really know like what we have here? It was kind of like, Oh, right. Okay. It's not ideal where the defensive back situation is right now, but might be okay right if he can just hold his own that's a stock up because we didn't think he could you know a couple weeks ago we were unsure if he could do that it's kind of surprising that we've made it this long without bringing up this position group Eh. but i think it's time to talk about the defensive line or offensive offensive line yes see i don't even want to talk about (laughs) how uh, tough it was but isaac samalu entered the year as kind of the the starting left guard from day one Mm -hmm. it seemed like that you know, they liked the experience he got last year. They were confident in what he could do. And after Sunday, woo, it yeah. was really tough for him. Yeah, no, I believe that on four of the six sacks the Chiefs got, Sayamalu had a chance to block the guy. You know, it was that bad. Um, you know, I mean, Wentz has only been sacked four or more times, I think four times in his career. So the fact that four of them came from one player. And again, there's lots of factors that go into that. That's not great. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles brought back their entire starting offensive line, but you plug in, say, Malu instead of uh, uh, Alan Barber, who they decided to trade to the Broncos, and now he's starting, the Bron- he's starting left guard for the Broncos. Kind of a curious move why they did that, and it was sort of like, well, we want to let the veteran Barber go somewhere he can start because we really like this kid. Third round pick, 2016, that's say, Malu, like, you know. Let's let's roll with it. Let's let's roll with it. See what he can do, and he hasn't been playing well so far. Now, he's two games into his first year as a cemented starter. He got some starts last year because of injuries, and started the last game at left guard. Um, so he's got room to grow, but it's not a great start. And when you look at the fact that Wentz has been scrambling for his life in both of the first two games, and the running game hasn't gotten going. The offensive line has to take a good deal of blame, 
And it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who's struggling, except for Smiley. Like, he is very clearly struggling. <laughs> he made Chris Jones look like Fletcher Cox yes. uh, in, in that game. Three sacks for Chris Jones. Um, pretty impressive. Yeah, he was he was all over the place. The the trading Barber to move up Somalu is kind of like the... It kind of plays into what we've talked about before, where it's they're building for the future, but also trying to win now. And right. it seems like that seems like one of those we're building for the future moves. Right. Where it's, all right, we've got this second-year left guard. We're going to get rid of the veteran uh, who was blocking his path a little bit. So mm-hmm. he can move up. And he'll he'll do it. Um, you know, he might have to take his lumps a little bit, but like he's going to be the guy. And it's sort of like, all right, so are you going to pull the plug on that, yeah. or how do you like what what's your move on that? And it's one of those things in my mind that you never know how certain factors like pride and draft status play into team decisions. So I don't think we can speculate on that. But you know. Somalu is a third-round pick going into his second year. He's a guy who should be ready to start. If you take that away and you just say, who would have been better for the team this year, Barber or Somalu? Based on how Somalu's playing so far this year, it's it's hard to believe that you would say Barber wouldn't be better, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's a trade that it was really inconsequential at the time. They were just going to cut him. They end up getting a conditional seventh-round pick for Barber. Looking back, now it's kind of a big deal because now you, and you don't, I mean... Chance Warmack would be the guy. He's a veteran. He could step in at left guard. But is Warmack necessarily going to be that as good? You, you could have stuck with Barber and had the exact same starting offensive line. Barber's clearly starting in Denver, so he's got something left. Was it because of the draft status? I don't know. Kind of moving along from the offensive line, um, I feel like that there's kind of a, a chicken and the egg thing with the <laughs> uh, with the running game and the offensive line where. They weren't holding their own in pass protection at all. So it's kind of like, so they sort of struggled overall. And so, you know, you felt like you couldn't really run behind that because they were giving so much in the passing game. But we were still surprised to see Doug Peterson just go so heavily on the pass. Like, just kind of not give LeGarrette Blunt like, one two-yard <laughs> dive uh, up the middle in uh, on a second and eight in the third quarter. Right, yeah, and they, and they like I mentioned before the broadcast, like they they tried to give Garrett Blunt the ball once, play got negated by a penalty. He did have one reception, but he was only on the field for six plays, so they didn't even try really to get him the ball, which is interesting. And the other thing we mentioned is they tried a bunch of screen plays, which okay, if running game is not working, the short passing screen game is supposed to be a substitute for that. The screen game was terrible. I, I don't that they ran. Um, I don't have the stats. I think Shield Kapadia for the Athletics said that they ran six screenplays, only two were completed, and they combined for zero yards. And you had a, the interception, the key play of the game, was on a screenplay. So to me, it, clearly Peterson has to take some ownership and say what we tried to do instead of the run game was really bad. I, I can't imagine if they replaced all those screens with halfback dives that would have ended up with no gains and a turnover. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so certainly there's there's reasons why the game plan dictated for the Eagles to throw more and for the team to take chances on the field and for Blunt not to be as big of a factor. But to be as pass-heavy as it was and to do things to substitute the running game that were disasters, to me that's that's a big deal that the coach has to take ownership of. Not saying that, that Peterson is terrible and he needs to stop play calling and he's on the hot seat, nothing like that, but... He didn't do a good enough job on Sunday. 
screen passes are when they work are great, especially right. against cool. especially against an over aggressive uh, defensive line, which was what you had uh, in Kansas City. But it's a thing where they can't be kind of the central. At least I feel like in the NFL, screen passes can't really be the central part uh, of your game right. plan. They have to be a, something you hit on because you see something because they're blitzing. It can't it can't be mm-hmm. consistent. And we talk about six screen passes. Well, they only have 13 called runs, so that was basically half their running game. Yeah, it's just kind of like, and when you see that it's not it's not working, you know, there there has to be an adjustment. I think that right. you know after last week uh, in Washington. There was that disastrous, like Nelson Aguilar, like kind yeah. of trick play screen thing, and there were a couple other screens that didn't go well. So you're kind of like, all right, you know, maybe you should pull back on that going forward. Right. Didn't happen, right? And and yeah, no, it's one of those things where they need to adjust. And I think that's something Peterson got criticized with last year. And you got to look at it now. The Eagles went one and six in games decided by one possession or less last year. So far this year, oh and two or oh and one, excuse me, because they lost that first game decided by one possession. And yeah, the Redskins game was tight, but the offense didn't make the plays to win it. It was the defense. So I think there's going to be some questions about Peterson's fourth quarter play calling. You got to adjust. You got to go on the fly. There's questions about Andy Reid's, you know, <laughs> adjustments as well. So it's not like it's new. Again, we're not not trying to blame everything on Peterson, but he's got to get better at making adjustments throughout the game. And I think a, 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 just for comparison's sake, the Chiefs needed a big play. They hadn't run a shovel pass yet. They ran that tight end shovel pass, kind of an Andy Reid staple. Got Kelsey in space, 15 yards. The Eagles don't have a play like that. You know, I think maybe they're thinking Aguilar screen passes or swing passes would be it, but they don't have a play that it's like they can go to to catch the defense off guard and it's going to work. And I think with Andy Reid, it's like, okay, that's the shovel pass. Here we go. When the Eagles really need a gain this so far this year, they've had Wentz drop back, scramble, and try and fling the ball to Ertz. That doesn't necessarily work at least not as well or efficiently as something like the shovel pass and and i think peterson's got to find that he's got to find that play to go to when they need it one position for the eagles that took a hit in week one and then took more hits in week two but still seems to be kind of fine somehow (laughs) uh was the secondary uh, as we said before, Ronald Darby went down in week one with a dislocated ankle. Jalen Watkins and Rodney McLeod went down in week two with hamstring injuries. Uh, what's the latest on their status, uh, just to start? Yeah, so uh, Peterson said that uh, both Watkins and McLeod were day-to-day as opposed to week-to-week, which means presumably that they'll be questionable this week and maybe for the next week. Um, I believe Les Bowen of the Philadelphia Daily News, Philly.com, said that he thinks it could keep him out. Both players could be kept out for a week or two with hamstring strains. But again, it's it's not a significant injury where injured reserve would come into play, but something where their status is definitely in question for the next few weeks, which could be, I mean, I know the Giants have struggled, but the Eagles play the Giants next week with Brian Marshall and Odo Beckham Jr. And, and you know, could come into play. Um, but you're right. I mean, the defensive line really seem or the defense really seemed to, stand its ground despite the injuries at a key spot yeah with the hamstrings it seems like one of those things where they'll probably they can miss one or two games and it's kind of the you know sacrifice a little in the short term for right. for the long term um what kind of stood out stood out to you as to you know how they were able to kind of weather uh losing those two guys especially it was pretty early in the game too mm-hmm. no i was really impressed i think you know they never got beat deep even though 
Alex Smith had two passes from more than 75 yards the week before. They never got burned. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, defensive line getting pressure and linebackers making plays and Schwartz styled up some good blitzes again. Um, they did have they did give up that one big running play, which was more, that was a big hole. Um, so I thought they did well. We talked about Russell Douglas, uh, Corey Graham is a veteran guy. So it's kind of interesting that the two guys who really filled in were a veteran who's been around forever. I think Corey Graham's in his 10th year. Um, and Russell Douglas, a rookie making his debut, those were the two guys they needed to lean on. So it, it was interesting to see both ends of the spectrum stepping in and to do some good work. Uh, Patrick Robinson continued to play well in the slot. They, they just did a lot of things that held things together. But, you know, moving forward, that that's definitely going to be a weakness, especially if McLeod misses some time because, you know, the whole point was we got to trade to get Darby. Darby's going to be out for six weeks. Well, we got to trade for Darby to fix our cornerbacks. Well, you know, we don't have Darby, but at least we have really good safeties. Well, no, you don't have McLeod. So it's, it's definitely a weakness, no doubt. I think one thing that's going to be really interesting moving forward is, you know, a matchup with the Giants, which is kind of a, uh-huh. a kind of more of I feel like of a deep passing game with Odell Beckham and uh, Brandon Marshall. Where like the Chiefs, it's kind of more efficiency. I mean, they take their shots, um, but there's a lot of short passes. You know, we want to get Tyreek Hill in space. We want to put Travis Kelsey in space. Um, you know, there's not. You know, every once in a while, Alex Smith will chuck it deep, but I mean. You know, he, he completed 75% of his passes, you know, 21 of 28, right. but it was for 250 yards. It, it wasn't like... Right. The death by paper cuts offense. Yeah, so it was sort of like, you know, if you're making those tackles, like what you said about Russell Douglas stopping Tyreek Hill, I mean, he had four catches for 43 yards, I think. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a very, like, bend, but don't really break, and then it did break when Kareem Hunt had the 50-yard touchdown right. run. But aside from that, I mean, Kareem Hunt had the big touchdown run, and then late in the game they gave up a touchdown. But other than that, I mean, 27 points against the Chiefs isn't bad, especially when the Eagles turn the ball over twice. So even even with the loss, um, I don't. I think it's probably a pretty good sign. The defense was a pretty good sign with how well they played. Talked to Patrick Robinson after the game, and he said. You know, I asked him, how do you compartmentalize that? As a secondary, you guys have three major injuries and you held your own, but the team still lost. How do you how do you approach that as mine? And he said, well, you know, you can judge a game a lot of different ways. And to them, if the other team is forcing turnovers and we're not, that's a knock on us. So that's that's the way Patrick Robinson took it. And I think that was a really good point because, I mean, those two turnovers were the difference in the game, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a seven-point game, that, that was big. I know one was on special teams. But from the Eagles' perspective... You know, you, you don't have a playmaker like McLeod, who had a couple interceptions last year. You don't have your best cornerback in Darby, so you got to adjust things. And maybe now all of a sudden everyone is trying really, really hard to stay together. But because of that, you can't make the plays. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to see somebody sprinting in to have an interception. And maybe the Eagles can't put as much pressure as they want on because they need to have more help in the secondary, which means they can't force bad throws or force fumbles. At the end of the day... The Chiefs, who, were, who led the league in turnover ratio last year, didn't turn the ball over. And to me, that's going to be a big deal. If the Eagles can't force turnovers going forward, that's tough. And if you're trying to fill in for all these missing pieces, it's hard to just go out there and make plays. Uh, maybe they can do better next week because Rasul Douglas will have a week under his belt. They'll know whether or not they have McLeod. But I think that was a big part of it as well. 
we'll do kind of like the if McLeod and Watkins are out next week. How does what does kind of the the top five uh, yeah. defensive backs? So I think are? I think if they're both out next week and Darby will still be out, I think we see a the Eagles have a free roster spot uh, after the IR Donnell Pumphrey. So my guess would be they'll bring in some type of safety cornerback. Um, they only have one guy, Devontae Bowsby, I think is how you say his name, on the practice squad who they recently signed. They could go C.J. Smith. They dropped him from the practice squad. He signed with the Browns. They go back and get C.J. Smith if they wanted somebody who was comfortable with the team. But um, right now they're really thin on depth, especially at safety. Uh, but top five, you would have Jalen Mills starting at one cornerback spot, Rasul Douglas at the other, Patrick Robinson in nickel, and you'd really have to have leave Robinson in nickel before you could, you know, Robinson didn't have to play nickel all the time because you could use Jenkins and you could use other guys. Now, the way it's set up with, with no safety depth, they would need to have Robinson at the nickel. Then you have Corey Graham and Malcolm Jenkins at safety, and that's not terrible. I don't think anybody looks at that and says, you know, this this is not good enough to even compete, but it's certainly not great, especially when you look at the fact that uh, Jalen Mills isn't a speed guy. That's why he wasn't on Tyreek Hill, and Rasul Douglas is still young, and you'd think guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Marshall and Sterling Shepard could pick on that, but we'll see. I mean, I mean, I think those five, they're legitimate NFL players at the least. It's not bad, but it's not as good as where it was two weeks ago. Right, exactly. And it's certainly a weakness. Like like I keep saying, don't get me wrong. It's, you know, if you're an opposing team, you're licking your chops. But if you're the Eagles, you can look at it and say, you know what, I think, you know, we might not be stuck together like super glue right now, but at, le- at least we're there. There's There's something there. Through two games, covering a team with a one-on-one record with one impressive road win and one kind of deflating road loss, where would you put your level of concern uh, on from one to ten? Uh, my level of concern for the Eagles would be two or three, I would say, because I think they've overachieved. I don't think... That's not to say coming into the season that I thought they are going to be a train wreck, but the fact that they did enough to beat Washington, and the fact that they went to Arrowhead and outgained the Chiefs, I think those are positive signs. Now, some really concerning things have emerged. We talked about the secondary, we talked about the lack of running game, and we talked about the offensive line. The Eagles need to get those fixed. And I think most importantly, they need to figure out how to win late games, and that comes down to Doug Peterson's play calling, as we, as we talked about. Those are four things that are really concerning they need to fix. So there's levels of concern because of that. But at the end of the day, I mean... Their defense, especially their defensive line, has been... I, I don't know how you can play any better. I think they're a top 10. I think the Eagles are a top 10 defense so long as their secondary doesn't totally crumple. If Darby comes back and McLeod comes back and they're all on the same page and the secondary's playing well, they could be a top 5 defense in the NFL. And their offense is good enough to use that to, to win games. And I think when you look across the division, there's also that minimizes the concern. So yeah, the Eagles have few areas of concern, but who doesn't in the NFCs? Mm-hmm. The Eagles already beat the Redskins in Washington, which is huge, um, to, to win a road divisional game. The Giants look terrible their first two weeks, 0-2. Um, and the Cowboys got blown out by the Broncos and looked totally disconnected. So, you know, right now, Redskins, Cowboys, and Eagles are all 1-1. Nobody's going to storm ahead. I'm not saying the Eagles are going to storm ahead and win the division, but when you look across the division, you could call the Eagles favorites if you want. I don't know if I would. I'd probably stick with the Cowboys. But 
there's enough there that you say, okay, the Eagles did well. They escaped on the road. Two games on the road against teams with winning records last year. I think the best you could hope for is one and one. I don't think it's realistic to win two. And they almost did. They were they were in the game late in Kansas City. Yeah, I think that I'm probably at the same point uh, as you, like you know, two or three, maybe a four. Like, it's right. fine. And we're both it's fine kind of people. Yeah, and you know, it's a thing where coming into the year, I think we kind of talked about the Eagles as being a – Nine and seven, eight and eight kind of team. After two weeks, eight and eight or nine and seven looks like it might be able to win the NFC East. Exactly. So I feel like that there's, you know, the the context around it, you know, really impacts kind of you know their their chances and everything. And it's only two weeks, right? But there's still a lot to take away from it. I mean, the Chiefs boat raced the New England Patriots. Exactly. On the road. On the yeah, on the road in Foxborough, mm-hmm. you know, on in prime time. And then the Eagles come back and just you know, a three three game or six three game at halftime. Right. Should have been six six. Thirteen thirteen in the fourth quarter. And really if the Eagles, like I said, if they don't lose the turnover battle two oh, they probably win the game. Yeah. It's like it was sort of like, oh okay, like this team is in a you know, is in kind of a real slug fest and they're, you know, holding their own with it. Which, you know, I think is is really good to see uh, it's you're kind of like okay like there's definitely some things that you need to get straightened out but i feel like the kind of the bones of it are are really good i mean no carson wentz is kind of i think i feel like he's turned a lot of heads uh in these first two weeks with kind of what he's done yeah because i think people are acknowledging that like whoa he's really running for his life and he's making plays still making plays like it's you know the wheels aren't falling off for him. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Carson Wentz is impressed. Which, which we keep talking about. It. That's the season, Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. You know, um, has he looked like Tom Brady? No, he's made plenty of mistakes, and he's he you know had a chance to lead the team down and win the game um, on Sunday and didn't do it. You know, there's certainly some issues there, but he's been good. The defense has been really good. So you can look at it. We're still really early into the season. I know that we said all off season. Let's wait until we have real games to talk about. And now that we have real games to talk about, we're like, oh, let's wait for more real <laughs> games. But that's how it is. I mean, when you have a second year coach, a second year quarterback, and a defense with lots of questions, you, especially in the secondary, that that's just how it is. You don't know. You know the Chiefs are going to be good because they have a similar roster from last year and they have continuity. We don't know that with the Eagles because this is only their second year. A and B, I think the way the season's gone. We could see the Eagles' defense remain dominant. We can see Carson Wentz build off of his good start, and they could run away with the NFC East. On the flip side, we could see opponents across the league realizing this team has no running game and no line, and figuring out Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson's play calling falls apart, and they slip and, and don't even contend for the playoffs. I think either possibility, either option is a possibility at this point. Um, and, and I think... We're really going to see. I think even these next two weeks, where you got the Giants and, and the Chargers, those are two winnable games. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they go in, if they go out of their first four games two and two, that's fine. I think that's pretty good. If they go one and three, that's tough. If, and if they go three and one, you know, it's it's not like they had too tough of the next two games. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think it could go either way, but there's certainly reason more reason for optimism than pessimism after two games, in my opinion. Yeah, like the play of Wentz. I mean, we didn't. I mean, that we didn't really have time to touch on it, <laughs> and just kind of everything is such like a chain reaction and everything. Where it's like, you know, if if Wentz isn't playing like he is these first two weeks, you know, maybe there's more of a running game. You yeah. know, maybe you know, like Doug Peterson is like, oh wow, like 
we can kind of ride Carson Wentz. And it's a thing where he's under pressure and still throwing for, still having 300-yard games, um, still completing a okay amount of his pass, decent amount of his passes. And it's sort of like if he was still throwing the ball 56 times a game but going like 20 of 56 for, right. you know, 190 yards, I feel like it would be a lot you know bigger cause of concern. But he's, you know, really... You know, his game on Sunday was definitely a kind of like an in a losing effort game, right. where you were sort of like, "Wow, he he played really well." And yeah, there were things he could have done differently, but there were really only yeah. just just really that interception, and you know, maybe a couple things here yeah. and there. And no doubt, he piled up stats. I mean, when you take the last drive when the Chiefs were kind of playing some prevent, and then also add in his longest pass play of the day bounced off the <laughs> Chiefs cornerback on a really weird play that I think the Chiefs stuff half was over essentially mm-hmm. um, you know that sort of thing when you take that into mind maybe his stats look a little bit more inflated than they would have been otherwise but you're right I mean it's he had no run game didn't have great protection and he hung in there and gave the Eagles a chance to win and what, what have we been talking about all along if you have a really good quarterback you have a chance to win games when you're not perfect and I think these first two games the Eagles offense has been far from perfect but they've had chances to win because of a good defense and because of Carson Wentz. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bird is the Word, Penn Lives Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I'm Daniel Gallen. You can reach me at dgallen at penlive.com or tweet at me at danieljtgallen. Uh, and Aaron Kaznich, you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Kaz Reports. Uh, hit me up on email, akaznich at penlive.com, and, and visit penlive.com slash Philadelphia Eagles for coverage all week leading into the home opener against the Giants. Uh, this podcast is published every Tuesday and Friday on penlive.com slash Philadelphia Eagles. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use there are a lot of them uh, at pen live sports podcasts and we are uh, on soundcloud at penlive.com slash or at soundcloud.com slash penlive.com it's it's a little confusing in there yeah we'll, we'll figure it out plenty of places to find our podcast and you can hear us again on friday morning see ya